0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The text for today, treat of faith, as in the faith of Abraham. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We are talking about faith in action, not the type of faith that consists of an affirmation of some kind of concatenation of truth claims. Even the demons can do that, as St. James remarks. We are talking about the kind of faith that is best translated trust, the confidence that warrants one to go ahead with an undertaking, when that undertaking is far from a sure thing in the world's eyes, when it's fraught with risk, or as the dwarf warrior Gimli so memorably says in Peter Jackson's screenplay for Return of the King, and I quote, certainty of death, small chance of success, what are we waiting for, end quote. Over against this justification for action stands the law, which guarantees investor confidence. Everything is on the table, so you can calmly, coolly, and objectively assess risk, risk management, they call it. Costs and benefits are itemized, consequences calculated, even and the final go-ahead given only if and when everything adds up. When all those things that behave in a law-like fashion are predicated and predicted, when everything has been accounted for, the unexpected factored out, and everything else brought under our control, then we are ready to think about proceeding, or at least beginning to negotiate the insurance policy that will kick in should, in spite of everything, anything go wrong. A faith-free model one which appeals, let us confess, to all of us, and one that conditions the way we look at our, dare I call it, faith, in scare quotes, because it's anything but. And for those who read the Bible as some kind of comprehensive answer book in which everything is explicit and everything in it is guaranteed to resolve any ambiguity in any situation whatsoever, for those, that is, who cherry-pick the Bible, What the Bible actually says about faith and how to live by faith is an entirely different matter. In hope, he believed against hope. It says of Abraham, this first hero of the faith. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb when all the risks had been considered itemized, then ignored. That's how Abraham works. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. The text goes on, it's a little over the top here. Abraham wavers all over the place and seeks to back out of every other situation in which indeed he faces certainty of death and small chance of success. And who wouldn't? Which is why surely God cuts him some slack. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The language here is of imputation, which is what happens when God sees that something is totally lacking in us and still speaks it into existence where it did not exist before. And a reminder, again, that faith, as we're talking about it now, is faith in action. It's not like we can put a cerebral list of truths over here and put works over there and just comfort ourselves with some list. It simply doesn't work that way. Faith in action. God never required Abraham to simply say, here I stand and recite some doctrinal formulation in lieu of going off on his adventures. There was no doctrinal formulation he could have recited. There was nothing to know. A voice came from the silence and said, follow me. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Risk managers assess this one, if you please. I suspect we'll see it as a new model in MBA programs all over the world. This is not to say that when we submit to God in obedience, this is tantamount to surrendering all hope. Not at all. Hope is one thing that Abraham, even on his worst days, hangs on to. But very much as an exercise in delayed gratification. He gets no return, so he just keeps reinvesting and reinvesting his faith. Not a bad model. In hope he believed against hope, the text says. In other words, in spite of all evidence to the contrary. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Don't even try, is what our Lord is saying. Just forget about it. Surrender everything. Now, no one surrenders their life without a little bit of a struggle. And what sustains them through the struggle? Faith. But not just blind faith, but a faith that clings to hope. And the hope is this, that God is playing a different game than we are by different rules, with extra pieces, pieces that can make moves that our way of playing does not allow, that the absence of any evidence to the contrary notwithstanding lives in the hope that the God who set this whole thing into motion is never far away, that trusts, quote, in the presence of the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. A bigger board more pieces, a rule book that we never quite get to see, and a reserve of cash that seems always to replenish itself just when it has been exhausted. This is not plain fair, you may say, not by any rules I know, but this is how God plays. Even though everything is riding on us as well, God does not give us any covert advantage, any comfort from this great reserve that he keeps close to his chest. He plays these cards for all to see at once, and we're either in from the beginning or we're out. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This faith, the faith that springs from action, is also known as the faith of the soul. Not again, a matter of clinging to beliefs whose value cannot be validated, but the investment of energy into what the soul finds meaningful, and a matter of feeling more than thinking, a task which, unlike the independence from God, which is the whole point of the law, I get all God's truth bound up in these leather covers. It's all there in black and white. What need have I of God? None, as long as you've got the book. This is the whole point of any rule of life or code of conduct. It finishes and ends here. This is all you need. Don't go any further beyond these safe boundaries. The construction of a self-sufficient guidebook, complete in every detail, covering every eventuality. The faith which, on the other hand, guides our hearts beyond that, especially into interrelationships, is a living and personal thing. It is not abstract and impersonal and dependent upon a personal relationship with a God who is a person. Now the school of personal relationships is a school of hard knocks, of truths found by trial and error. To build and maintain the trust on which these relationships depend demands of us exactly the vulnerability, which is the anathema to anyone putting a risk project together, and yet precisely that to which Jesus calls his disciples. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. Only after they have put us through their worst, in other words, did those we love sometimes realize that we were giving them our best all along and vice versa. Someone once said that the day will come when our children will come back to us to try to tell us that everything we ever taught them was true. (laughs) We'll all be dead, of course, and so it is with Jesus, and so it is with us, his followers. We are called to love not just sit back safe on the sidelines keeping our noses clean, dispensing good advice where it won't cost us anything. We're called to actively love, to take risks, to get involved, to live out of our tenderness, our compassion, our affection, give, give and give, regardless of what happens to it. What sustains us that the God whose love we seek to give others is the one who loved us in the same way. Seeing in us all kinds of possibilities to which we were blind because they probably simply weren't there, and asking us to return the compliment to others, to nurture and raise up their unseen potential. If we enter this in a spirit of loving trust, Even our mistakes, and we will make them, will be calibrated by God to be used to move him forward in our lives. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What is the soul worth? Everything to God and that souls, embodied souls at that, can reach out to one another and touch in love, that is what makes this whole project worthwhile for God. And together, that we can reach out to the God who dwells within us and among us, encompassing him in a ring of humanity joined despite, no, because of our differences, that remains the goal the goals of the church as she labors toward the kingdom at the end of the age. May we, as our time slips away, not lose sight of the unity which remains within our reach, if not within our grasp, as long as we remember that there is no much more going on in all of this than meets the eye and may we push the boundaries that separate us from our own souls in the depths of our being and the souls of one another only at arm's length away and yet so far may we trust that this gracious god is going to make things come to be which our world gives no chance of ever possibly seeing we're involved in a little conversation about Guns in this country right now and constraining what guns can do. One line of thought says, Guns are here, they're here to stay, so we must fight fire with fire. The answer is more guns, more guns, more guns. This is called what you see is what you get. There's very little faith involved in this except the incredible faith that the situation won't get a heck of a lot worse. Another voice which seems to be coming from our youth says, trust that the answer is to take the guns away. And trust that there will be a change of heart at some point when the people of this country start to love their children more than their guns, in which the guns will simply be set aside, unused, in which that huge surflet Surfeit of assault weapons that floods our nation for which there is no permissible use will simply be surrendered and their use potential honored for once and for all. Some people have a vision of that. I don't see how it can happen, but I, know I am not God, and I do know the only vision which God bids me to pray for. So, in finishing in Christ, things are possible right now that we do not dare even dream of. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, and to obey, to live into your yes, your tomorrow, even now. Amen.